You know, his promises are true. Amen. He is promises are true, and yet your eyes may see something different and all of those circumstantial things, and yet the promise remains. His word is true, and his promises, you can trust them. If you have your Bible tonight, take it and join me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to continue with the theme of clarity for the confusion, and uh, I'll explain a little bit more about that after you found your place, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Any of you get a nap today? Raise your hand. Oh, wow. Look at you guys. I'm proud of you. Uh, and by the way, look at how many raised their hand in here, man. And by the way, look how many of you showed up tonight. Thank you uh, for maybe adjusting your schedule or setting your schedule uh, to say Sunday's a day I'm going to set aside for the Lord to worship and to grow and to meditate on Him and to rest. All of those things are so important to our physical life, our spiritual life, our emotional life. And uh, so thank you for doing that and being here today. Uh, I was encouraged by what God did this morning. I'm telling you, strongly encouraged in my own life. Uh, because, again, as I told you, this is not a man preaching to you as if he's already attained it. I'm still a work in progress just like you. And so God dealt with me as a son, and I love the fact that he does that. He doesn't rake us over the coals and, and uh, throw us out with the trash, but he deals with us like sons and daughters. And he did that with me this morning. I pray that he did that with you this morning. And so we learned some great things this morning, didn't we? Uh, about uh, the role of the man and the woman and, and children and just all of that. It was it's some clarity. We need a little clarity, don't we? It was a good heavy dose of clarity, wasn't it? And uh, someone told me in the common area that they learned a lot from the message, and, and so I uh, was encouraged by that. And one of them said, well, no, one of the things I learned is not to let you watch my kids if they're swimming. Huh? Okay. So we learned there was a message inside the message. All right. Listen, I told you I'm a work in progress. But listen, all of them are still alive, and we've done well there, and God's blessed us and shown us favor. And so if you have your Bible, again, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Oh, wow, that thing went completely dead for a second. Did y'all hear that? I thought it was my hearing there for a minute. All right. So uh, the title of the message is Clarity for the Confusion. But we're going to add a few words to the title from this morning. And so Clarity for the Confusion. And I want you to add, two, add these three words to the title. Clarity for the Confusion. Uh, for, or excuse me, of his bride. Okay, so clarity for the confusion of his bride. So this morning we looked at confusion in the area of maleness. We looked at confusion in the area of femaleness. We looked at uh, confusion in the area of marriage and the single life. We looked at all kinds of confusing, and we clarified some things so that we won't be missing the target. If we don't know what the target is, we've got a great chance of never hitting it, right? And so we learned with clarity what, what God said, and, and we determined that. Um, we're not some special group of people born in one little speck of time in one speck of place and to think that we could highly uh, think better than God or have a better, and culture is not going to shape us anymore. And I believe there's some lines drawn in the sand this morning that God's word is going to be the author uh, and authority of our lives. And I'm telling you, I had some, there were some breakthroughs happened this morning. And I'm thankful for that. I wish I could share all of them with you, the personal testimonies I've received, but I, I couldn't do that and keep confidence. So I'm just thankful for what God did this morning. But now we're going to talk specifically about clarity for, uh, for the confusion of his bride because I'm afraid that the bride of Christ has been confused for some time. And what I mean by that is uh, by the deeds of the church as a whole, and when I say the church as a whole, I hope you know that, <clears throat> that Hickory Ridge is not the church as a whole. Uh, Hickory Ridge is a place where God's moving. We, we have to acknowledge that. 
a place where God is blessing and pouring His Spirit out. People are being saved and discipled. And those are wonderful things. God's doing that. He's doing it. We're giving Him glory and honor. And you're, doing, you're part of that. And I'm part of that. And it's wonderful to be a part of, isn't it? I mean, it's wonderful to be a part of. But at the same time, we're just one little small gathering of people in one little small state, in one little small area. And there is a church that spans the globe. And I'm telling you, wait till you meet some of your brothers and sisters from Africa, either over there or when you get home. You're going to love them. They're a whole lot more spirited than we are, you know, and they're going to, they, they scare you a little bit, you know. Uh, but you'll see, if you don't see them over there, you'll see them up there, and it's going to be great. So there's this global church, but also it, it also spans time. You understand that? We're part of a church that began in the New Testament church, right, that began the resurrection of Jesus. And we also, and the Old Testament saints looking forward, they're part of the church. And we are all part of a church that, that spans the time. It's beautiful to think about how big that is. But I'm afraid that, that for the last little while, I don't know how long, but the last little while, the church has been operating in a confused state. And so what I mean by that, here's some, here's some things that I've observed that it appears, it appears, and now, now listen, uh, I won't say that the church has been confused in word, uh, but I'll say that the church has been confused in deed. And so by the way we act, okay, it has more weight than what we say. We say one thing and then sometimes we do another. Okay, so... Uh, what I mean by that is sometimes it, it, it's, it appears that uh, the church is confused in thinking that our mission is to change the behavior of people around the world. And y'all with me? And so because of that, when we see behavior that doesn't glorify God or doesn't agree with, you know, how we're living, we have a tendency to really, really hammer down on that. On that. Y'all know that about us? Uh, I wish you could see some of the things I've seen, how mean people can be about such important issues like wearing a hat, you know, or, or I, I saw this happen one time at South Campus. I wish I could show you how mean that the church can be about somebody going in the kitchen and getting a cupcake that wasn't theirs. And the little child, this has been about 15 years ago, and the little child hadn't eaten, you know, he's come from a poor home, he didn't eat a lot, he just, he saw an opportunity to get him something to eat. He got a cupcake, and it wasn't his cupcake. And I wish you could have heard the way that the church uh, worked him over because he went and got him a cupcake. Wasn't supposed to have a cupcake. Cupcakes were something for something special. And I want you to, now some of y'all are thinking a little bit now, aren't you? Some of y'all are like, man, was it me? You know, was it me? And you may be wondering to yourself if I've caught you doing something like that around here, uh, you know, being the church. Um, but lambashing somebody over some ridiculous little thing uh, that has no bearing on eternity and certainly won't make them right with God. Um, and yet at the same time, here's the thing I've learned about the church. This one I'm talking about the church being confused. We think that it's about behavior modification because the same person that will lambash somebody for getting the cupcake has never shared Jesus Christ with one individual soul in their whole life. And you and I would, would sometimes, and I'm talking about the church, and I'm, not, I'm talking about Hickory, I'm talking about the church. You know, we have a tendency to live a confused life. And when we live a confused life, my goodness, if we don't, if we live confused, how in heaven's name will the, will the, will the world ever know what the target is? And what is the target, by the way? It's not behavior modification, it's the heart. It is to bring people into a reconciled relationship with God that only happens through Jesus Christ the Son. How do you know that, preacher? Because the Apostle Paul said this about us. We've been reconciled to God, and we've been given that same ministry of reconciliation. That's your ministry. All of us, we have the same ministry to help mankind uh, find this reconciled relationship that comes from Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through people like me and you. And so tonight, I hope to just clarify a little bit, if I can, uh, what is the greatest 
And you say, what is the greatest what? And I said, what is the greatest? My answer to your question would be yes. The greatest. The greatest what? The greatest yes. And so let's dive in, okay? If you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to stand to your feet. <clears throat> and I'm going to let you get up and situated, okay, because there's a lot of stirring goes on when we stand up. And I want to remind you that who the author was and what was the occasion and purpose of the letter. All right? So the writer of the book of 1 Corinthians, if you know, you can say it with me. His name was Paul, the apostle Paul. Uh, known uh, by his Hebrew name Paul, by Roman name would have been Saul. Roman audience would have called him Saul. Hebrew, Jewish people would have called him Paul, okay? Uh, most people think his name was changed when he got saved, but it's not, that's not the case. He was known as Saul by the Roman cohorts, if you will, and Paul by the Jew. Isn't that interesting? So you're learning something new every single day of your life. Uh, actually, it's the other way around. Saul, Hebrew, Paul to the Romans, okay? Now you understand and begin to see how his ministry unfolded. So he's written this letter, and the purpose and occasion of the letter is that the people have began elevating certain gifts of the church, <clears throat> confusion, over others. Okay, and do, does anybody in the room know what was the specific gift that appeared to be uh, based on, now we, we, me and you, we can't look over at, at, at the church at Corinth and say, well, this is what was going on. We, we learn from the context of his letter and what Paul addresses in all of the, the, what, what the Holy Spirit writes through him. And so what we learn is, does anybody know what the uh, elevated gift that they, that they sort of put all the weight on uh, of the gifting? Does anybody know? Speaking in tongues. You guys, look at you. Know your Bible. And so it was speaking in tongues. Out of context, uh, speaking in tongues sounds like somebody in a gathering gibberishly speaking. And so he wrote the letter to say, first of all, uh, when it happens, this is what it should look like. Uh, there should be an interpreter. Uh, there should be someone who can say what is said if it's un not understandable. And the context of the, the gift of tongues taken from the book of Acts was a group of people from all over the world in one location, and the gospel broke out. And when the gospel and the spirit broke out, the spirit gave a language that when the one guy spoke it, everybody understood it in their own language. Woo, now you see how we get things twisted. So he's written this to tell them, <clears throat> listen, uh, that, is not the, that is not the gift to be, first of all, you got it confused. Second of all, uh, even that gift is not the gift that is above all the gifts, the gift that you should really seek after. And so right in the middle of him talking about unity amongst the diversity of the body, because we're all really different, amen? Uh, and in the midst of all that, he takes this chapter, and of course it wasn't a chapter, you understand what he's writing, but he takes this opportunity in the letter to talk about what is the greatest amongst all of gifts and what's most important. In other words, if you and I, as the church, whoever you are in here that's been born again, whoever listening out there who've been born again, if we can get this, if we'll just focus on this, if we'll just let this be the goal that we're aiming for in our, in our seeking of God, God, would you help me to be this? Would God, would you produce this in my life? It is the clarity that will drive us out into the world to make a difference for the glory of Jesus' name. And here it is. I'm going to let the cat out of the back. It's love. It's love. Not the kind of love that will lambash you over getting a cupcake when it wasn't your turn and it wasn't your cupcake. Not, not that kind of love. But the kind of love that looks at that child and thinks, well, you know, I wonder what the situation is with that child. Maybe I could sit down and talk to that child. and Maybe I could find out what's going on with that child. And I could find out that child knows Jesus and what their home situation is. And maybe I could take some food to that child. And, and so let's dive in, okay? You got some context now? Uh, chapter 13, here we go, beginning in verse number 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men. and Now, now you remember the theme and the context as you're reading. It will make good sense to you, Okay. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am, Paul said, nothing. I'm nothing. I'm zero. Less than, less than. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long. So then now he's going to, you're going to see a little change here. He's going to now start defining what this kind of love, because there's a lot of different words for love in the, in the Word of God. And this is agape love. This is the highest form of love. This is the love that God has for you, by the way. And it's wonderful because it's love without expectation. It's love with no strings attached. It's love just because. Love for the sake of love, if you will. Isn't that wonderful? By the way, aren't you glad God didn't have any strings attached to his love for you? Aren't you thankful he didn't put any conditions out there that says, if you can attain this, that one day I'll love you? Aren't you thankful that when you pause and look at your life, at the failures and all the difficulties and things that you've been through, aren't you thankful that there was never a day that God started loving you? He just always has. Wow, that's beautiful. All right, now he's going to describe it. Here it is. Beginning in verse number four. Love, so he's going to help define it. Love suffers long, and love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up or prideful. Uh, love, in verse number five, does not behave rudely. Mm-mm. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity and rejoices instead, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. Love does. It believes all things. That's what love does. Love hopes all things. Love even endures all things. Listen to this statement about love. Love never fails. It never fails. But where there are prophecies, because, you know, some people won't think that's the thing, they will fail. And whether there are tongues, you know, if you could speak in a language everybody can understand, he says even they will cease. There's only a time for that. Uh, where there is knowledge, it is going to vanish away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, and he says, when that, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, Paul said, I spoke like a child. Don't you love hearing kids speak? Uh, I understood as a child. Now, that part's not as fun. Huh? Don't do that. And they just look at you like, I'm going to do that. Because they don't understand that doing that could harm them. They don't understand it. And that part's not as fun as the speaking part, right? Okay. So I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. And that's true about me and you. No matter how clearly we think we have it all figured out, the truth is, here in this life, in this body, we see things how? Dimly. But then, there's coming a time, oh boy, we will see him face to face. Now I know in part, Paul said, but then I shall know just as I am known. I'll know perfectly the way that God knows me. And verse number 13, and now abide faith, hope, and love, these three things. But the greatest of these is absolutely love. Let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Will you bow with me? Hey, let's just ask God if you would to clarify for us what is the greatest. Will you just ask him to do that? What is the greatest in my marriage? What's the greatest in my relationship with my friends? What's the, what's the greatest in my relationship with my coworkers and classmates? What's the greatest? What, what should I be focusing on? What should I be asking God to produce? So, Lord, I thank you now for the opportunity to <clears throat> preach your word. And, Lord, though may I, I may understand it tonight, I also need you to help me uh, find myself under the authority of it and that you might produce this kind of love in me more and more and more. And Father, I pray tonight as I have the opportunity and the privilege to preach your word, I pray I'd preach it as a dying man to dying people because that's in fact who we are. Minute by minute we're dying. And Lord, may we seize the opportunity tonight to sit on the front edge of our seat. And would you help me as I preach also to listen? Lord, only you can do that. 
And as I preach, would you help every person in the room and the people who are listening out there and those who will eventually come on the podcast later on in different nations and countries. And, Father, that you would hold our attention uh, as a father speaking to his son and daughter or as a person beckoning to a stranger to come and receive all the good that you have for them. Now, Lord, would you speak from heaven and tune our ears to hear your voice. In the mighty name of Jesus, we make our plea. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Clarity for the confusion of who? All right, one more time. You were sitting down. I tried to get you to do two things at once. All right, here we go again. Ready? So, clarity for the confusion of his bride, the church, his bride. His bride has been a little confused. You say, how do you know that? I'm watching our actions, our actions, not yours, our actions, not Hickory Ridges, but our, I've watched the church. We've been a little confused, obviously, because of how we've been living. And wouldn't it be great if God clarified that for us here tonight? Very simply put, if he clarified it for us. So I have five statements I'd like to make tonight from uh, this chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Here they are, all right? Number one, without love, gifts are only noise. Gifts are only noise. And by the way, uh, God has terribly gifted people. Now, terrible can be used in a lot of different contexts, right? What I mean is sometimes I see the gift of God operating in somebody's life, and I'm, I look at him like, man, God has so gifted her or him, and it blows my mind. You, you ever run across people like that? You see their gifting shining, and you know, you know it is of God because it shines bright, and you know that they don't have that ability, right? You know that they don't house that. They're, they're not able to conjure that up or, or figure that out in a book somewhere. Uh, but the anointing of God and the gift of God is on their life, and I'm telling you, um, it's sometimes just really breathtaking, isn't it, to see somebody operate in their gifting and how God has gifted them to do. I see people sometimes do things that I can't do, and it just makes me scratch my head. Can I just introduce a word to you? My greatest weakness, administration. Specifically, planning and being where I'm supposed to be. And I used to get on myself about that. I did. I used to just hammer myself and be down about it, but I'm not doing that anymore. You know why? Because I figured out God revealed to me this last week is the reason that I'm so bad about that is because I am locked in the moment. I don't want to think about the next moment. I, I hope God will help me with people, put people, help me be where I'm supposed to be the next moment. But I want to live this moment with this person I'm talking to in this counseling session and this sermon as if it's the last moment here on the earth. And I'm okay with that. God's helped me get okay with that. But I'm still going to have help. Miss Jerry and Tina and all of my family, they helped me. Boy, they helped me get where I'm supposed to be. And I need that. But at the same time, I'm not going to beat myself up. But, but I see people. I see them operating. The, like you find somebody that's administratively gifted to blow your mind. Uh, people, I, I've told you about, you know, uh, Jerry and Tina, Tina can, I mean, her, her, she set things up and I'm like, why? And I, she can tell you, I get a little frustrated by it sometimes, you know, and she'll just be patiently planning the thing out for me, you know, and I'm just like, I don't, you know, I don't want to talk about all that, but it's necessary. And things go a lot better when they're thought through and planned out, huh? Yeah. And so, but love, listen, without love, all these gifts, all these things that we're good at, all the things that... And we have to be careful to say that they're gifts because we didn't conjure them up, but God gave them to us. And you have a gift, and I have a gift, and we're good at that gift, and that gift makes us uh, valuable to the kingdom of God. And we didn't purchase it, and we didn't get it somewhere, and school didn't teach it to us. But the Holy Ghost of God gave it to us, and the Holy Ghost has empowered us to live it. And we're supposed to be using that gift for the glory of God, for the strengthening of the church. And so, but here's the thing. You could have the greatest gift on the planet, and if you don't have love, he said, it's just, you're just noisy. You're just noisy. And don't you just love being around noisy things? Uh, I'm telling you, 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 ever, you ever go somewhere to eat and there's a lot of noise going on in the area that you're eating at? Isn't that a blessing? Don't you love finding uh, yourself in a conversation and a bunch of noise is going on? 
and you can't hear the person in front of you, and you see their mouth moving, and you're trying to talk to them, and they're trying to talk to you, and it's just great, wonderful, you know? Uh, noisy. You're just noisy. You're just occupying space. Uh, notice that in this term, noisy, it does not, it's not the word that means you are making a, clearing, a clarified noise that makes sense. That's not the word. The word he's saying is it's just a noise that has no, it has no logic. It has no, uh, there's no good effect from it. It's just noisy. And, and, and have you ever heard like a noise when it goes over and over again, uh, how it will wear you, it'll just absolutely wear you out. Now, some of you have a, have a, some folk among us that one little noise will get them like that. Like pop your gum or. Smack your food one time, and they're done with you. Some of us 10 times, right, 15 times, and we start getting. And, and that is the explanation for the person who has a great, mighty gift from God but does not operate their lives in the realm of love. Okay, I'm going to move on. Does that make sense to you tonight? So then, I may have this greatest gift to preach or to teach or whatever, whatever, to pray, whatever that gift is. But if my life is not lived under the umbrella, under the uh, idea, under the uh, main theme of loving people right where they are, okay, then my great gifting from God is just noisy. It's just noisy. Okay, number two. Look how, well, we're moving quick tonight. Yeah, number two. Without love, and, and that was in verse one, and verse two, without love, all gifts and faith are nothing. Listen to this. Um, he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Listen to this. Uh, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. So not only am I noisy, but without love, all the gifts and all the great faith that I could, you know, pray and things change. But if I don't operate with the idea and the theme in my life of love, then I am. Here's what he says. I'm nothing. You know what that word means? It's a word that means it's like I never existed. So not only am I noisy, I'm just taking up space. I'm just existing. And I don't know about you guys, but when I think about what we talked about this morning, the resources of God, which are the Holy Spirit, somebody help me, the Word of God, and the church, uh, the resources of God that I've been given. Now, of course, all of that stems from the resource of the Lord Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection, okay? Now, with all of those resources, I can think of no more sad thing in, in eternity than to have lived with all of that and not made a difference, not, not live my life to, to, to have some kind of return for what God has done for me, what he's deposited in me, and the gifts that he's given me. Does that make sense to you? Uh, and so it's, and listen to me, here's what you learn about love. You can't fake it. Uh, some of us, we, we can fake it to other people, but you can't fake it with God, and, and, and it's an attitude of the heart. And I'm telling you something, there's nothing more attractive than a terribly gifted Christian who really prays and does all that, but then doesn't love people. It's damaging. Turns people away from God. And so may the Lord help me and you love people like he loves us, right? So we want clarity. So we're not confused. We're not out here. Listen, God's not sending you out of this building today to go check everybody, how they vote, Democrat or Republican. He's not sending you out of here to go check how people are drinking or not drinking. He's not sending you out of here uh, whether they are uh, uh, same-sex attractions and all that. He's not sending you out of here to go fix everybody's behavior, okay? Listen, what he's sending you out of here is to go love people and share the good news of the gospel that they can be right with God through Jesus Christ his son and let him do all the work. That's where, it's, that's where we've gotten confused a little bit. So here's clarity. By the way, I like clarity. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very easily confused, so I need clarity. So without love, gifts are only noise. Number two, without love, all gifts uh, and faith are nothing. Number three, y'all listen so fast, we only have five. Number three, without love, all sacrifice profits nothing. 
Now, that's interesting because I feel like if I sold everything I had and gave it to the poor, that surely there would be some profit. But he says if it's not with love, if my life is not lived with love, it profits. Verse 3, let's read it. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned. In other words, if I said, you know what, I'm going to preach the gospel and I'm going to keep doing it. And if they said, well, Pastor Terry, if you keep doing that, Terry, if you keep preaching the gospel, then we're going to burn you alive. And I said, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. You're going to have to burn me alive. But I'm mean-spirited and unloving. Here's the profit of it. You ready? Big old Easter egg. Zero. No profit. That's interesting to me. That somebody could go so far as to say, you could burn my body. I'm not going to quit preaching. I'm not going to quit sharing Jesus with people. I'm not going to quit doing the thing. But that my life is still not marked with this unconditional love. That love I mean, genuinely loves people. Loves God. And loves people, then then my giving away, my donating, my my sacri- well, all of that is, it it has no profit to it. It it just ends in the moment, and that's a sad. Isn't that a sad thought? Uh, and by the way, I I know some folk like that, man. They'd be willing to die for. They, I, it's my right to preach the gospel. I'm going to do it. But man, you see them deal with people, and they do not love people. It's evident that they do not love people. So without love, all. Sacrifice profits nothing. Now, number four, and there are only five. We'd probably be out of here early. Number four, so what is love? First, we made some statements about without love, okay, gifts are noise. Without love, all gifts and faith are nothing. And without love, all sacrifice profits nothing. So then what is it? What is this thing that is so vital and so necessary uh, what, what's the idea of love? How can I understand what, what Paul is saying to the Corinthians and what the Holy Ghost is saying to me and you? What is this thing that if it's missing, my life is void and it's nothing and the profit's nothing and no matter how strong my gifting is, is nothing. And I want to know what this love is. And so that's what Paul does next is he says, now, so that I've told you what happens if you don't have it, let me define it for you so that you know. Okay, so he's going to list things here. So number four is going to have a list of 12. Okay, so you, so you got to love me. You have to love me. So love is, and we're going to walk through these rather quickly, okay? Love is, number one, love is, verse four, love is patient. Now, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but we could probably just stop on the other 11 and just say that I have failed a whole lot in this very first one just recently. Uh, would anybody else in the room be willing to say that there are times days, hours, five minutes, some, somewhere in the life scheme that you've been a little impatient with somebody or something. Wow. <laughs> so, so we better just have the altar call now, right? Uh, God, we, we need you to give us the kind of love to, to, to help us be patient. And so uh, I hear Gerald say this a lot. He says he's learned over his life that never give up on anybody. Um, what, is that, what is that translated to? Love is patient. And I'm afraid that oftentimes the impatience with, you know, things like Wi-Fi, it's not the same kind of patience that he's necessarily referencing. Now, you should have patience in those things, and that's good. Really, that falls more in the category of self-control, fruits of the Spirit. But this kind of patience has more to do because remember this kind of love he's dealing with here is dealing with people here on the earth, right? And having patience with people and being loving when they are in the process of being changed. And by the way, when you look in the mirror, you be reminded you also are in the process of being changed. 
And because we're not a finished product, it's going to be necessary that we have this no-strings-attached kind of love because, well, <clears throat> we're slow to change. Can I tell you that again about me and you? We really are slow to change. And so because of that, we're going to need the kind of love that God had for me and you. By the way, wasn't God patient with you? Have mercy. Have mercy. Aren't you glad he didn't give up on you? For the 10th time or the 20th time or the 50th time or today? Or just right now, as your mind is wandering to work this week, isn't it, aren't you glad he doesn't just zap you from heaven? That he's patient with me and you? And so we've got to be patient with people. There's another part of patient. I'm going to move on. There's a second part of patient that we also have to be in our love relationship. Because the word says, when Jesus was asked, what is the great commandment? It was twofold. It was one, but it was twofold. It was one in essence, two in, and uh, in, 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 excuse me, two in rule. Here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your, as yourself. So loving God, loving people. So this patience is that I'm patient with people, but here's something else that I need to be. You ready? It's going to strike you as, as a little different. Just hear me out. I, I need to be, if I love God, I need to be patient with him. If I love him and I trust him, then I have to be my love toward God. Love God, love people. My love toward people should be patient. My love toward God should be patient. And I'm going to tell you something. The person who I'm least patient with, I'm afraid to tell you today is God. God, I need you to do this now. I, I need you to save this person now. I need you to change the situation now. I need you to do this now. And I know he's, don't you know he's up there just going, my goodness, bless his heart. <clears throat> he, I just have to help him so much. Y'all pray hard for Tina, you know. I had to, she, he had to send me a special helper, you know. Um, and so I've got to, listen to me, have you ever even thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that you're impatient with God? Have you ever given much thought that that's not a very strong love relationship with me toward the one who gave his son for me to me to sit down here and say, now, I need you to do it now, come on now. But to learn how in love to say, I love you, and that means I trust you. And so I'm patient. I want to be patient. So patience. Does that make sense to you tonight? So patient. Moving on, number two. Next thing he says love is, his love is patient. Love is kind. Don't you love being around kind people? They just do kind things. They just treat you well. They're just, they're just full of kindness. And I, I'm praying that God helps me be more kind. And, and isn't it, don't you want to, let me ask you this. Do you, do you usually listen more to people who are kind to you than people who are unkind to you? And wouldn't it make sense then logically to say that love is the key that unlocks the door of the lost heart, right, the lost condition? And that means that if I'm kind to them, there's a lot better chance for them to listen to me. Kindness. And by the way, not just that, but how about in the aspect of other believers? Isn't it good when I'm kind to you and you're kind to me? You know when you're kind to me, what it does? It cheers me on to keep going. Just, just random acts of kindness people do from time to time. Just, man, it just spurs me on to keep going for Jesus. So kind. We ought to be patient. Love is kind. No strings attached. Third, love does not envy, all right? Listen to what he says here. Still in verse number four. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. I want you to think about some of the things he's talking about here in verse four. It does not envy. Instead, it rejoices in the blessing and betterment of other people. Oftentimes, I see people uh, get sideways with each other because one gets a new truck or one kills a big deer. Or one gets a promotion, right? Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I see you looking all around like you don't know what in the world I'm talking about. I'm telling you, somebody told me one time, you know, you can really find out who your friends are when things go wrong. I said, no, you won't. You'll find out who your friends are when you kill a big deer on their property. <laughs> if they still talk to you and love you and go to church with you and still love you, then they, they, they meant it. They really love you. But if all of a sudden they don't answer your calls no more and they don't want to talk to you, you don't see them anymore, that means they're ticked off at you, Right? 
Or, or they hunt in the same hunting club. All of a sudden, you've got a spot, a good spot, and all of a sudden, you, you tell somebody you saw that big deer, and you'll find out real quick how much people love you because they'll come set up their stands right beside you. Probably not because they want to hang out. So, uh, you have to see practical life. I mean, real life, everyday life. Um, love does not envy. In other words, I'm not wanting what you have. And as a matter of fact, if there's a true love in my heart, I'm ble- I am encouraged and I have a level of joy and peace when I see God do something good in your life. Ask yourself a question. How do you feel when others around you get what you wish you had? Does it make you envious? You ever find yourself I, I scrolling a little faster because somebody, you know, they're talking about something good God's done in their life? You're just scrolling by that, but ever find yourself slowing down reading about the suffering in other people's lives? Isn't that interesting about us? It's an unconditional kind of love. It's attached to uh, loving people where they are, loving that God would give good things. I, I'm, I'm telling you, we ought to just celebrate. And, and I'll tell you where this sometimes shows itself the worst is when a, God's doing some great work at one church and maybe not so evident in another church. He's always doing great things, but sometimes it's not as evident. And you'll find that people will talk bad about each other and run each other down. And I hope you guys are probably sick of hearing me say it, but I'm going to keep saying it until I die, until my last breath. Don't you dare put the bride of Christ in a negative tone in your mouth with words. You shouldn't do that. I wouldn't take kind if you did it with Tina. You'll find out there's another side of me if you do that with my wife. I would imagine Jesus, much more noble, high and perfect than I am, also takes offense when you and I run down his bride. So you celebrate when God's doing other things. And when, he's, and when it's not as evident, you pray for him. You pray God blesses him. You ought to, when you pass by first base, you ought to ask God like I do. Ask God to bless and multiply, raise up disciples and people who will teach. I'm telling you, there's more people within a 20-mile radius of this church. Listen to this. I saw this the other day. If every person within 20 miles of this church and the other 30-something churches within 20 miles of here, if they all fell in love with Jesus and began gathering with the church, every church in our area would have to have 11 morning services. So don't let selfishness and envy keep you from praying the blessing of God on Restoration Church and on, right? It doesn't envy. Not the, not the kind of love that Jesus, but it's, we're not in a competition. Lord, we're all on the same team. We want God to bless the gathering because that's when people are coming to know Jesus. And the church is being strengthening. And so it uh, doesn't envy. Number, number four on this list, we said one is patient, two is kind, three it doesn't envy. Four is not focused on self. That means paraded or puffed up. In other words, it's not about look at me. And we can see that sometimes in our life, doesn't it? That we sort of get it at the, in the idea of looking at me. It's not paraded or puffed up, verse 4. Number 5, still in, now we're moving from verse 4. Finally, somebody said, we're finally going to verse number 5. And number 5 in the, in, in, the, in the list is one that we, uh, it was funny, as we were reading along, this is the one where everybody went, uh. And I don't know what that meant. Maybe today you, you were rude. I don't know. But in verse 5 he says, uh, love does not. So he tells, talks about what love does, and then he says, doesn't, it does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It's not all prideful and, and bragging on self. Uh, five, this kind of love does not behave rudely. Boy, I don't know about you, but, well, yes, I do know about you. I'm not going to tell any specific stories. Y'all looking real nervous. Uh, I've got some areas of my life I've been rude. And you, you've got some times in your life that you've been rude. And, 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 and the love of God in us is not rude. You ever find yourself being rude at the, in the drive through line? Anybody? You know, I was listening to a guy tell a story the other day, and he said, you know, they put pickles. Y'all know, some of y'all know me a long time. You know where I'm going. They said, my son ordered a Chick-fil-A sandwich with no pickles, and we got to the drive-thru line, and they had extra pickles on there. You know, it works out like that sometimes. You know, you do know, like, like, yeah. listen to me. You do know we don't live in a perfect world with perfect people. So sometimes you might order no pickles, and you might end up with 
extra pickles. But those of you who have heard me preach through this before know what I'm about to say, right? What, all, what should we do in those moments? Go back in there and find the person at the counter, slam our sandwich down on there, and say, what in the world? I didn't order pickles. I didn't order a couple of pickles. I said no pickles, and you put extra pickles. What is wrong with you, right? That's what, that's what we ought to do. No. We ought to. That's rude. And it's not the love of God. And it's not a joke. Because a lot of y'all are doing it. You think it's funny. It's not funny. You're dishonoring God when you go in there and act rude. And what y'all do is rake them pickles off, man. Scrape them off. Put them in. It comes in a full wrapper. Rape your pickles off. Put them in the wrapper. Stick them in the bag and you're going to be fine. We behave rudely. And listen, some of y'all are like, well, that didn't bother me. But there are things that do bother me. And you, there are other things. Uh, like a slow driver in a left-hand lane. And there are things, if I, I could list, I could keep going here, but I don't, I'm not because I, I just want you to think about the fact that, listen, listen. I, here's what I'm saying about me and you. We've got to stop behaving rudely. And some of us, some of us, I think because uh, f- social media is a fictitious place, not somebody here tonight, that's the reason God brought you here is to let you know that. Social media is a fictitious place. And so you get into an argument on, on a fictitious place and you're behaving rudely, unkind about something going on in your neighborhood. Oh, goodness. You do know those things are public. And you do know that your example of Jesus in your neighborhood little chat thing or what have you, man, it doesn't look much like the love of Jesus because he says here's what the love of Jesus looks like. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't behave rudely. So, so God help me and you not be rude. This is, and by the way, you can't fake it. Here's what I found out. If you're not staying close to Jesus, something happened in your neighborhood and some person starts ch- chomping about it, you'll jump right in. Um, but if you're staying close to Jesus, you'll say, you know what, I may agree with him, but I'm not going to put my, I'm not going to get out here and get in an argument that I can't win. And so I'm not going to behave rudely. Let me move on. So r- love is not rude. Number six, love is not, it's still in verse five, is not self-centered. Do you see that? It doesn't seek its own. Now, boy, I'm telling you, a lot of my life, I seek my own. And a lot of your life, you seek your own. And I'm praying tonight. Here's what we're finding out. We just need clarity. We just need God to remind us, okay? Sometimes we just need, because we got all this stuff pulling at us. we got the nature of Adam in us. we got culture cheering us on to say, hey, you ought to behave rude. <laughs> you ought to just tell them how you feel, you know. Uh, you ought to go in there and lambash them for putting pickles on. You know, I mean, that's just kind of how the thing goes. And we need the Word of God to say, no, 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 here's what it looks like. We need it. Isn't it good that God's Word would show us clarity? In, 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 the, in this journey with Jesus. So it's not self-centered. It's not focused on me. And yet, when you pulled in the parking lot, I'll imagine that you didn't first think about the furthest place you could park to give everybody else an opportunity to come in. That preacher always says these awkward moments makes me think about my life. Think about it. When you pulled in, you probably didn't just keep going all the way down this side over here. And so, you know what, I'm going to try to park. Now, I'm not talking about, some of you can't. I get it, man. That's what I'm talking about. It's for you that we should be going further back. And the people will park on this front row up here, I'm telling you, they'll get right up, and they walk so good, and they're healthy, and some of us need to park a little further back, burn a few more calories walking in. <laughs> but I'm telling you, when you pull up, think about it now, love, this love of God is not self-seeking. But me and you will pull into a parking lot, and what do we do? Self-seek. Self-seek. How close can I get? How close can I get? How close can I get? And it's just part of our fabric of our DNA, and it's the nature of Adam. 
And we don't realize that this, this chapter 13 is practical. It talk, it's, that's, that's what he's talking about. What if God began to change our minds so much and we pulled up and we thought, where's the furthest I could park? And, and the people who are having a tough time walking will, will be able to get in easier. And, and, and I'm, you know, I'm a long-time member, so I'm going to park back here because, because what if somebody comes for the first time, they don't really know anybody, and they go all the way through. Have you all tried to go? I mean, some of the people tell me this morning, I drove around 21 laps in the front parking lot. I couldn't find a parking space. And I said, I'll try to talk to the preacher. He's stubborn. He just keeps preaching. But, but the purpose for all that driving around, here's what we do. We're looking for the closest spot. If you'll turn and come up this way, I'll guarantee you right back here by me in this back parking lot by the, by the, by the vans, you'll find there's always spaces. Save time, burn some calories, provide an opportunity for somebody else. But he says love is not self-seeking. Now, you look at how that is in every area of our life. We have a tendency, me and you, I'm not talking down to you. I'm talking about me and you. We have a tendency to seek self, okay? So he says this love is different. Oh, God, please, please tonight break my heart. Because a lot of us came in and we think, you know, I love like Jesus. And the truth is I don't a whole lot i got a long way to go. Is this, let me see, is this a valid statement? We all have a lot of room for improvement. Yeah. And it's not going to come by trying. Listen, if you come in the parking lot and try to fake that, you'll still park on the front row. You'll say, that was a good thing the preacher said, but, I, you know, i got my spot I park in all the time. And people who park by me, we got to have our little talks, and they'll miss me if I park in the back. And we'll have all kinds of justification. All right, let me try to get back to this message. All right, so it's not provoked. It's not self-centered. Listen to verse number five. Next thing he says, number seven, it's not provoked. Okay, you see it in verse 5, does not behave really, does not seek its own, is not provoked. It's not stirred up. It's not, it's not making, it's not easily made angry, okay? So God help me not to be provoked for the wrong things, but to be provoked for the right things. Number 8, if you will, keeps no record of wrongdoing. Uh, here he says, thinks no evil. Now, when it's translated thinks no evil, the reason that it thinks no evil is because it can't find the record of the thing the person did wrong to you. And every time I ever come across this particular passage and speak to this, it's, it, it never fails. Somebody in the group, some of us in the group, think back to an email that we still got saved. And every once in a while you pull it up, you know what I'm talking about. And you read back through it. You know what I mean? Y'all don't know what I mean? I like that look right there. You pull, you know that text message that it's, I mean, it's so old. It don't, the date ain't even still on anymore. Text messages don't have expiration dates, do they? And you ever catch yourself every once in a while and pull that thing up and read it? And what happens? Matt all over again. And it sort of feels good, doesn't it? Anybody still out there? Sort of feels justified. You remember why it is that you don't talk to them. You remember why it is you don't pray for them. You remember why it is that they're on your list. And you get angry all over again. And so tonight, I just want to challenge you again. This kind of love deletes that text message. That kind of love deletes the email. You don't read it back again. You, don't, you, don't, you never bring it back up. You don't bring it back. You don't give your flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't let it be an opportunity. Don't sit around the lunch table and talk about the offense. Focus on the goodness of God. Talk about what he's doing. Focus on him developing his nature in me and in you. Okay, keeps no record on to number nine. Does not rejoice in sin, okay? So, and this is in verse number six. He says, uh, it does not rejoice in inequity, but rejoices in the truth. So those two go together. So here's what he's saying. It doesn't rejoice in the sin of others, but is happy, all right, when uh, the truth is lived and found, okay? So it does not rejoice in sin. Here's what I mean. It's not happy sinning, and it's not happy. This kind of love is not also happy in the presence of sin. So here's what that looks like. Someone might say, well, the preacher 
Scripture said, loving is supposed to be patient and kind and, and all these things. So if my brother and I are working together and he's talking about how him and his wife are not getting along and how she just mistreats him and what have you, and he's talking about this lady at work and I see them talking a lot and I, I hear them talking about going to lunch together. And so, you know what, if I'm going to be patient and kind, I know he's a work in progress, so I'm just not going to say anything. Uh, that's not it. He said that, here's what he's saying. He's saying that our heart grieves. With this kind of love's in your heart, it grieves in the presence of sin. And so when we see our brother or our sister doing those things, it grieves our heart. We don't get angry and mad and get ready to stomp a mud hole in them. We grieve. And if we, according to Matthew 18, we grieve in such a way that we pray first, pray for this right attitude, pray for receptive heart, and we pray for an opportunity to sit down with them one-on-one. And we share our heart. Hey, man, I'm seeing this thing, and I love you. I love you. I, I don't want you to go through the pain of what's coming next. I, I love you. I, I'm praying for you. This is, this is an error. I'm telling you, this is the wrong trail. And so that's the kind See, see uh, Brian, Brian explains it this way. He said, how can I say I love you if you're standing on the edge of a cliff and you're wanting to jump off of that cliff and at the end of that cliff is a stone edge, flat bottom, and you're fixing to jump off of that thing and splat on the other side. How could I ever say I love you if I stand beside you and let you jump without ever shouting, stay, don't jump, don't jump, don't jump. Same context. All right, so moving on. Does not rejoice in sin. Find, number 10, finds joy in the truth. <clears throat> this kind of love celebrates the truth of God's word. And when it's lived out, I'm telling you, it rejoices. Finds joy in the truth. Number 11, it endures while believing. Listen to what he says. Bears all things, believes all things. So it, it hangs on. It's still believing in hope. It's still believing in uh, God's faithfulness. It's still believing that God is working in the person and in you. Uh, it's the truth that when God said, I'm going to complete what I began, it's the kind of believing and rejoicing until it happens. Now, that's the kind of unconditional love that God puts in us. So it's enduring while believing. And then, and then finally, he says in verse number 8, number 12, he just said, I'm going to explain to you all what this is because the church has been confused and we're in behavior modification or we're in glorifying gifts or we're in exalting people because they're good at something. But he said, listen, all that stuff is noise and empty and nothing. It has no profit unless this is the central theme of it all, love. And here's what love looks like. And he says, love, number one, is patient. Number two, is kind. Number three, does not envy. Number four, is not focused on self. Number five, is not rude. Number six, is not self-centered. Number seven, it's not provoked. Number eight, it keeps no record of wrong doing all those wrong we don't bring up what happened in 1935 in our arguments together number nine does not rejoice in sin number 10 uh, finds joy in the truth number 11 endures while believing I'm enduring I'm hanging on to the hem of his garment and I'm believing all the way through till his promises are true and then number 12 this is what he says in verse number eight you reading with me love never <laughs> did y'all hear us right there fails and that's good news that's not bad news Love never fails. And I know, I know. I, listen, uh, I'd be the first to tell you tonight that I've failed people in the area of love. But that doesn't mean I'm just going to settle in there and say that needs to be the pattern of my life. Um, I think tonight what we all do is just ask God to forgive us and then ask God to give us strength and help us. And start, I think what we ought to do is start out in the morning in the presence of Jesus and let him produce that love in us. Just start out at his feet. Just start out right there. Die a little to self at the presence of Jesus in prayer and meditation, listening for his voice. And then going out and letting him love through you. That's the most amazing journey, isn't it? Love never fails. And then there's just a couple of things in closing. Before I close, I'd like to say uh, number five. Can you believe that? I still think we have a few minutes to spare. It's like 6.59. Here it is, number five. Love is a mark of maturity. 
Love is a mark of maturity. Now, here's something that has surprised me. <clears throat> in my little short journey of 45 years, uh, in almost 18 years pastoring, right, uh, something that has surprised me, uh, gray hair does not equal maturity in the faith. Have you all learned that? Um, I'm, I'm telling you, it, it, you, you, do, you just sort of assume things, and you can get in trouble when you assume things. Um, it does not. And remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about love. That's the whole context. And so watch what he says here. Now, this is interesting, okay? Uh, pick it with me, if you will, right down in verse number 11. Are you there? Somebody amen? Uh, okay, and he talk, remember he talks about how those, these things are going to vanish away, all these gifts are going to go away, they're, they're here for a season, they're going to be gone, but love is not that way. Love is going to be all the way through and, and then and then and then and then in eternity. Love is going to do that. But no, verse number 11, Paul starts talking about himself. He says, hey, y'all, listen up. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. How does a child speak? It's funny, isn't it? Short, choppy sentences, you know, uh, very simple. Sometimes they get the verbs in the wrong forms, and they, a lot of times... Uh, we, well, our grandbabies, uh, Morgan's got a little lisp with her, and, 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 you know, you can see mom and dad's like, she's got this little lisp. We're like, hey, hang on to that thing because it's going to go away. When it does, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. Stop trying to fix it. Let her talk. You know, let her, let her do her thing, and it's going to be gone. Why? Because as we mature, things change. As we mature, what? Things change. And in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, as we mature, our love changes. He said, when I was a kid, I acted like a kid. I talked like a kid. I, uh, listen to what he says, I understood as a child. Uh, you know what's funny? You ought to try sometimes to explain to a four-year-old electricity <laughs> and see how that goes for you. Um, because they can only understand up to a certain level. You, you understand that? And so it wouldn't make sense for you to try to explain that to a child because when they're a child, they understand like a child. So, so I want you to think about what he's saying in the context of love. When I was immature, I loved myself. We could go back through the list. When I was immature, I was impatient. When I was like a child, I was unkind. When I was like a child, I envied what other people had. It offended me when people got blessings. I'd scroll faster. I'd mistrust. Yeah, when I was young, I was focused on myself. When I was young, I was rude when they put pickles on my sandwich. When I was young, I was self-centered. I, ch I picked the closest parking space. When I was immature, like a child, I was easily provoked. When I was a child, I kept a record of every wrong thing done against me, and I brought it up in every argument just like a little child would do. When I was immature in my faith, I rejoiced in sin. I had a good time doing the wrong thing. It didn't bother me to do wrong. And I didn't mind being around other people who were doing And I didn't find joy in the truth. Matter of fact, the truth offended me because it would correct the things about me. And so I didn't find joy in the truth. And I didn't endure while believing. If anything went wrong when I was immature, I quit enduring. I went the other way. I abandoned ship. I stopped believing. Anybody with me? See how the list looks differently when you're immature? When I was immature, my, I failed. I didn't love people all the way through. I loved them to a certain point. But he said, when I was a kid, I acted like a kid. I thought like a kid. But now listen to what he says. But when I became a man. Now, what he's doing here is making a comparison to a maturing Christian life. When I was a child, I acted like this. But when I grew up, uh, for the male, it's becoming a man. For the, for the female, it's becoming a woman, Right? And he said, but when I, when I became a man, here's what I did. Here's the difference in maturing and not maturing. I put away childish things. Uh, there are some things in my life and your life. I'm just going to tell you something. It's time for us to grow up in. 
And we won't do that by trying harder and setting our mind and getting the mind to steal, and, and that won't work. But it's time for us to mature in some things. And the place where we mature, I want to just say it one more time before we close, is at the feet of Jesus. It's the most important. Remember Mary and Martha, they're wrestling, and she's going, you know, Martha's cleaning and doing all the stuff. And Mary's spending time at the feet of Jesus, first part of the day. And Jesus said, you know, there's a lot of things to be done or what have you. You're very distracted. And he said, Mary has chosen the better thing. The better thing for you to choose in the morning is to spend some time in the presence of Jesus and his word and in prayer so that he can produce his love in you. You can't write this list down and then go try to be it. You'll fail. You're not going to mature by trying harder. Matter of fact, when I shared with you a number of years ago about Swayze, when she was at the house when she was really little and she's trying to open that yogurt with that full top, y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, it's easy for me. I can grab that thing and pull it right off. I can do it with my teeth. I can do it with my fingers. I can do it all kind of ways, right? But she couldn't. And because she was a child, still is a child, but was a child, she acted like a child. If I tried to get it, she'd snatch it away from me. She's prying on it, trying to get it off, can't get it off. I'm trying to help her. She's snatching it away, screaming, crying, crying a little more. The more she tries, the more frustrated she gets. Pulling at it, pulling at it. She ain't even got the full started up. I mean, not even one corner of it started up. And she's scratching and crying and snotting. And, and boy, it's gotten ugly. And now I'm ticked off. You know, I'm behaving rudely. And I'm having to pray about the love of Christ not being in me, right? And we're, we're having to wrestle. And by the way, it's interesting to me how a two-year-old can keep you from getting something that you want to get. And I'm wrestling for it, and she's frustrated. And I, it occurred to me that that oftentimes is my relationship with him when I'm trying to open the yogurt. But instead, I'm, what I'm doing is I make good detailed notes tonight uh, way out here in the middle of nowhere on a March night, and I make good details, and I'm going to take those good details, and I'm going to go use those good details in my outline to go try to open the yogurt. I'm going to go use the good details that I took in here and listening out there, and I'm going to use what I took tonight, and I wrote good notes, and I'm going to go evaluate my life, and every area of the week, I'm going to try really hard, and I'm going to pry on the edge of the foil, and I'm going to cry and snot and be frustrated and try and try and try, and what I'll end up at the end of the day is less loving than the way I started. But, you know, when she handed it to me, when I finally got it, and I'm telling you, I wish we'd had a video of that. When I finally got it away from her, and by the way, once I finally got it, how, how their little hands are so strong. Prized it out of her hand, but about that fast. I pulled it off, handed it back to her, crying stopped. Everything was good. Where does that happen for me and you? It happens at the feet of Jesus. And I just want to challenge you tonight. The whole point of this message. See, you came and you've been taking notes. You've been thinking, oh, I've got to do better, Dad. And I've got to do better, Dad. See that nature of Adam in you and me? Oh, I've got to do better, Dad. And I've got to try harder here. And I've got to do better. Oh, I've been failing there. And I feel like, you know, I feel off. And the enemy's whispering to you. You're not saved. You're not saved. You're, look, you don't love like that. And, you don't love, and you're getting hammered down. And we're landing the plane right here where Jesus is saying to you tonight through the Word of God, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. My yoke is easy and my burden is Oh, so take your notes, teach them to somebody because that's what it should look like. But pray through them tomorrow in your quiet time with Jesus and say, Lord, would you produce in me and just go through the list. Because people don't change people and we don't change ourselves, but I'm telling you something about the God I serve. He sure changes people. Let's pray together. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that in this time of response, we have an opportunity to say yes to you. 
to say yes to the work you want to do, to say yes to your word, to say yes to your authority, to say yes in a moment of humble surrender, God, that we could tonight say to you, Lord, I'm, I'm looking at my life and there's some things that you showed me, showing me tonight that there's some areas of weakness. How many of you tonight, I'm praying and I'm talking to you at the same time. I'm going to do that back and forth because God's that way and it's okay for us to do that. So as I'm praying and talking to God, I'm going to talk to you a little bit. How many of you tonight would say that there's some areas that God has highlighted and he's showing you there's some areas that are, that are weakening. They're, they're not as strong as they ought to be. There's some areas of love that, are, that could be refined a little bit. There's about 10 of us. The rest of you, I'm going to start praying for you now because you're under the assumption your love is perfect and you're loving like perfectly like Jay. Okay, more hands are coming up. Let me just pray this for you, okay? God, help us in those areas that we're weak. Grant us tonight the ability to not try harder based on our, our nice detailed outline we recorded tonight. Help us not to be the little child trying to open the yogurt on our own and force and make ourselves love like Jesus. Help us to have patience with ourselves Help us, God, to know that we are surrendered to you. We're a work in progress. Help us tonight to count the small victories. Now I'm talking to you guys. Here's a question that you don't always get answered. Or you don't always get asked. How many of you tonight can say that God showed you some areas in your life that you are loving like Jesus and you used to didn't be before you knew Jesus? Would you raise your hand? Raise your hand. There's some areas. That, hold it up. Now, don't let it go right back down. What you're doing is you're acknowledging before God that he's producing the love of Jesus in you. It's there. It's more there than it was before, right? It's not perfect, but it's more there than what it was before. Don't miss the small victory, amen? Don't miss the joy of the Lord that's found in progress. Hallelujah. We're not perfection. We are progressive in our relationship with the king. Now, would you take just a minute? As you've been praying for him to strengthen the weak areas, would you take a minute and thank him for the strong areas? Right now in this response time, thank him. Shout to him. Tell him, Lord Jesus, thank you that I couldn't do that on my own, and you're doing it. You're doing it, God. You're helping me love people. You're helping me be patient. You're helping me be kind. You're helping me not behave rudely. You're helping me not envy what everybody else has. You're giving me contentment. God, you're doing all of this for me. <clears throat> thank him for it. He's a good God. He's powerful. I'm looking at a room full of people whose lives are changing by the power of God. Now, maybe you're here and you've never given your life to King Jesus and you've tried your whole life to fake that love and you've tried to make it happen and there's no love difference in your life. And the good news is tonight it's not too late. You could, in fact, invite Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord right now in this moment. Do you know that? You don't have to come hold my hand and do that. You don't have to hug Gerald's neck. We'll love that. We'll hug you. We'll pray for you. But let me tell you, the only way you can come to know God as your Father is to come to Jesus Christ as your Savior and to invite him to be Lord of your life, trusting that he died for you and rose again, and God will send his Holy Spirit to live inside you. Would you call out to him tonight? He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden. You've been heavy laden trying to live religion. You've been heavy laden trying to fake the love of God in your life. And Jesus says, come on, take my yoke on. It's light. It's easy. And you can have a personal relationship with him. Father, I pray tonight in Jesus' name that you would do whatever you want to do. God, that you set people free, that you would lighten the burden, that you would produce the love of Jesus in me. Forgive me for the ways that I fail. Forgive me for the times I'm complacent, rude, and unkind, and impatient, all those things. And God, I thank you that I'm so much different than what I was when you found me. And I thank you that I know just by that same assurance you're going to continue to work on me. Do it in the hearts of every person here, Father. I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. We